You're listening to Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. We've got director Scott Cooper in the house today. Scott made a big splash with his 2009 directorial debut, Crazy Heart, which won Jeff Bridges a long overdue and well-deserved Oscar. He went on to make what I think is a highly underrated film, 2013's Out of the Furnace, with Christian Bale, Casey Affleck, Willem Dafoe, Woody Harrelson, the late great Sam Shepard, an embarrassment of riches on that cast. He followed that up with Black Mass, starring Johnny Depp as Boston gangster Whitey Bulger. His new film is the emotionally draining Western Hostile, starring Bale, Rosamund Pike, and Wes Studi, among many others. The film will premiere at the Telluride Film Festival later this weekend before heading up to Toronto in about a week. Scott, thanks for coming on the show, man. Mm, Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. I want to start with your past life as an actor. Yes, a long time ago. I watched your X-Files episode this morning. What? <laughs> I would love to show my kids that. <laughs> Titled Rush, as I recall. Yeah. That yeah, must have been heady, that. actually. The, you know, get to play an X-Files villain at the height of that show's popularity. Yes. Uh, as I recall, a young serial killer who um, has daddy issues and and uh, David Duchovny brings him to justice. That was <laughs> Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun, actually. I think Vince Gilligan maybe uh, wrote that episode. Right? Oh, really? He certainly was, was a writer on the show, yeah. Two Virginians. Yeah, totally. Well, uh, you know, just your life as an actor, you were an actor for about 10 years or so. Uh, and, and what, I guess, did you retain of that that helped you parlay into your career as a filmmaker is the question. Well, it's a good question and, and one that I'm asked often. Um, I did have an unremarkable career as an actor. But uh, out of that came uh, a lot of great relationships, one of them. Would be my work with Robert Duvall, who's become uh, a great friend and confidant, and um, someone who sees early cuts of my films, reads early drafts of my screenplays. And we had done a film just after that called Gods and Generals, and we talked a lot about the craft of of acting. And Mr. Duvall always felt that even great actors overly complicated their characters and what they thought they needed to bring to to each part and more importantly to each moment and he always said to me that acting begins at zero and ends at zero have no idea where you're going to take the scene if you come to a scene with preconceived notions that you've worked out in your trailer or in your hotel room the night before then you're going to give a very emotionally stunted performance and you aren't going to be open to listening to other actors which is the most important part of acting certainly is is listening and responding and to do it in a very uh, subtle fashion um, he also recommended that I watch a lot of documentaries certainly older documentaries that that before people became really comfortable with the camera because now everybody has a camera and everybody's essentially on. And there's so many reality TV shows that are anything but but real. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them that's probably one of my all-time favorite films was um, Barbara Koppel's Harlan County, USA. And I just thought the behavior in that film and, and the stakes of that film are incredible. It's a masterpiece. And, and really, I just have taken what little experience I had as an actor but most importantly that with Mr. Duvall and channeled that into my work and never really overcomplicating my direction to actors 
but I also like to give direction to actors when nobody else can hear that direction. I think actors, as most performers are, sometimes can be can be insecure. So anytime that a director and, and I've had them do that, bark out direction mm-hmm. for the entire crew to hear, I think is is the wrong way to do it. And and I really revere actors. I respect actors immensely. Uh, it takes a lot of artistic courage um, to uh, really bear their souls for the lens and hopefully for uh, a receptive audience. Um, so I take great pains to make sure that actors are very comfortable. So I'm sorry, is, no- is that unusual to, to, to do private kind of counsel like that? Uh, I found it to be, yeah. yeah but but I, I think it's certainly the way I like to work mm-hmm. um, so that I have a very genuinely intimate relationship with the actor. Because as an actor, I know the difficulty in, in trying to bring a character to life. Uh, and certainly the material that I have, have chosen to make and to write is sometimes psychologically more challenging than others. And I ask a lot of actors on an emotional level mm-hmm. um, and in some way an intellectual level um, because they, the actors that I, that, I, that I work with tend to embody their characters in ways that maybe other actors don't. And through that, their character stays with them even after I call cut. Mm-hmm. I really like to do most of my work, obviously, between action and cut, but... but um, once we call cut, then sometimes the work stays with them when they go back to their hotels or to their, to their homes, and and that can be taxing for an actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm very cognizant of that. And and again, I really revere them. Have you ever been tempted to cast yourself in any of these movies? No, I haven't. I mean, I think it's enough to it's remarkable write and direct and, and, and produce them. <laughs> Funnily, Jeff Bridges asked me uh, when we were. He and I were reading through the script of Crazy Heart. Uh, if if I would play his son, at one time uh, Heath yeah. Ledger was going to play that, and Heath, you know, unfortunately passed. And and um, and I said, Jeff, uh, there are far better choices than I. I said, and, you know, I, having never directed anything, this is this is going to be enough for me just to to direct the film, write it, producing it. Didn't have much money, and um, and then Duvall has asked me a couple of times to being some things with him but I, I I really feel like I've found uh, what I'm best at or certainly yeah. what I'm better at yeah well when you set off to this new career and and, and uh, you know what just broadly speaking I'm, I'm, what I'm curious about is like what were your inspirations films specifically filmmakers specifically but also like what was not out there in the world that you wanted to put out there in the world well generally I um even when I was an actor, I tend to respond more to world cinema than American films um, because I think those films tend to be deeply humanistic, which is, I hope, what my work is. Um, the Dardenne brothers really influenced me. Um, I love Kurosawa's work, uh, Michael Haneke's work, and there's a real humanity, uh, Sajid Ray, in, in, in their work. Uh, that that I wanted, that I felt like, certainly as an actor, that was speaking to me. And then as a filmmaker, and then one who became a father, you, you feel like you want to show uh, an uncompromising and an unvarnished truth that maybe is underrepresented in cinema. And I felt that I could take some of the things that I was feeling after, I think we were all feeling somewhat of a post-traumatic stress disorder after... 9/11, 
in this this type of loss and uh, harrowing loss that that for some reason it affected what I was reading, what films I was attracted to, um, what I ultimately thought that I wanted to express, um, and then the economic crisis, which led to, in a sense, out of the furnace. Um, mm-hmm. uh, people who who were really really suffering. Um, who don't live in Los Angeles and New York, and I've spent a lot of time, and I'm from uh, an area that's certainly not Los Angeles or New York, and, and I wanted to tell their stories. So I thought I could do that in a, in a, in a very genuine way and and um, and hope that I've achieved that in some way. Yeah. Hostiles, uh, you, know, you know my affinity for this genre. Mm. Uh, you were kind enough to invite me up to the set, which was a great time. I think it's really special to spend some time on a Western set because they just don't make a lot of these. Uh, up there in Georgia O'Keeffe country, the, the gorgeous landscapes, northern New Mexico. Ghost about, Ranch. Yeah, about a, an hour north of Santa Fe. What, what does being in that environment do for you? It kind of puts you in the zone, right? Well, yeah, I have, um, ever since Crazy Heart, it's been critical, actually. I won't make the film if, if I don't shoot where I think the film either does take place or should take place. Uh, I, I did shoot in New Mexico and Texas for Crazy Heart. Uh, the still country of western Pennsylvania for Out of the Furnace, of course Boston for Black Mass, and I felt that in telling this story, this journey from New Mexico to Montana, that I could shoot in New Mexico, and then we went north into Colorado, and it really imbues the production with a sense of place, mm-hmm. the actors with a sense of place, because literally where we were shooting. Uh, at times 12,000 feet above sea level, you really feel it, and you can see it in even the horses. Mm. Um, you can certainly see it in the actors. And and at times, quite a punishing shoot, but I think compared to what, well, I know, compared to what people in 1892 had to live through, this was uh, this was nothing. Mm. Um, but it really imbues the the production with a sense of place from production design to costumes to camera to sound certainly to the performers and and the animals and and then you also I mean I haven't done myself any favors by making a film in the gangster genre and now in the western genre yeah. I think some of the best films ever made are in those two genres so you're immediately climbing this huge mountain that you're invariably uh, compared to the best directors and best films ever made but yeah. But for me, it felt like the only way to tell the story would have been the way that John Ford would have told the story, or Howard Hawks would have told it, or Anthony Mann. So um, I think it was the only way to do it, was to do it in a very harsh setting Mm -hmm. that became softer as we went north, but um, no less harsh. And you're at the whim of the elements the whole time. Mm. Delays on set, whatnot. Lots of lots of rain. Lot the monsoon season. Yeah. Lots of lightning, rattlesnakes, a few bear. Um, wow. Psychologically challenging material. Horses. Uh, great actors who push you to become a better director. Um, and working again with with Christian, who's you know one of my closest friends, is uh, made it all the worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about how this project came to you. It's somewhat uh, unusual. Uh, yeah, interestingly, I received a call that, that that there was an older lady who had really liked my work and that she had something she thought that I should see and read. And, and of course, I thought that 
because out of the furnace is is a little more difficult to digest than say Crazy Heart. Um, I thought she was referring to Crazy Heart, and as it turned out, she was 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 an admirer of Out of the Furnace, and that kind of piqued my interest um, because that that was a film that, like most of mine, that are uh, quite divisive, but people really feel strongly one way or the other about that film. So I appreciated that she that she liked what it was that I was attempting to say with with that film. And we spoke and she said, I have a piece of material that I think you should see. And I, I hear that often, of course. Um, and I generally like to write my own stories or I like to adapt things that have that maybe can lead me into a direction of a story that I wanted to tell. And I said, well, I'd love to read it. And she told me, she said, well, it's written by my late husband, Donald Stewart. And it didn't ring a bell um, that he had won an Oscar for Costa Garbus's, uh film Missing mm-hmm. with um, Jack Lemmon and Sissy Spacek. And I said, well, you know, I'd love to read this. So she sent it over, and it had a, a very compelling kind of seed of a story about uh, an aging cavalry officer who's tasked with escorting a group of uh, Native Americans home from New Mexico to Montana. And I felt that I could take that seed in 1892 when I had set the picture and make it feel more relevant and more current because of the racial division that we are feeling as a nation. Mm. And I wanted to personalize the characters in the story in a way that would make it feel very current, even though it was 125 years ago. And I told her, I said, I think this this is a really interesting piece. Um, how would you feel if I took just this as a as a as a launching point? And she said, she'd be great. She'd love it. So um, that's how it came to me, and that's how it started. I, I didn't meet Donald Stewart. He died in 1999, and. Um, and it's unfortunate because we certainly wouldn't have hostiles without him. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that he would be uh, proud of, of what he originally envisioned. Yeah, and you, you got into my next question there, which was, you know, as I said, it, it, I found it to be a draining uh, experience. The mm-hmm. emotion kind of lodges in your throat from the first scene and yeah. does not relent. Uh, even, you know, once the catharsis of the film is complete, really, it, it, it sticks to your bones, as they say. Uh, but, you know, it deals in themes of reconciliation and healing that I found to be resonant. As you say, you wanted to speak to the modern climate. So I guess speak a little bit more about that. Yeah. Uh, when we set out to make the film as I was writing it, I didn't foresee the division that that we now find ourselves in. Um, certainly Donald Trump was was not... Um, certainly I didn't take take it seriously that he would be our president. Um, but I think probably what I wasn't realizing as much as, uh, as I should have, because I've, I lived in Virginia a long time ago, is that if you don't live in New York or L.A. or San Francisco or, or Boston, just just how deeply people are suffering and just how why the divide is between those people who have and those who don't. And I'm not quite sure why I didn't understand it as fully as I as I thought that I did. But as I was 
working on the screenplay and starting casting. And certainly as we were shooting, it became more apparent that these type of division, this type of division was, was really, really vast and, and was um, the topic of the day and, and certainly still is if you, if you look at what just happened in Charlottesville, my, uh, uh, my home state, uh, which is terribly tragic and sad. Our home so, state, in fact. Yes, yeah, terribly yeah. tragic and, and, and sad. So what I wanted to do with this film, and it's, it's always weird talking about themes and, and what it is you want to say, because you want the audience to take sure. away something from the film that you don't have a director telling them what he meant. But I saw an opportunity to make a film about inclusion and understanding others' ways of lives, reconciliation, as you said, forgiveness, all the sort of things that we as Americans need uh, to better understand to make this country heal, because I don't think... Uh, we even Robert Duvall and I discussed this today, and of course he's much older than I am. He said he's never seen it this bad, and and certainly I haven't. And my father said this far exceeds even with Nixon in Vietnam, and and it's and it's a real shame, and 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 it's the politics of anger and hate that that's infiltrating this nation. And I just hope that a film like this can speak to the type of healing and inclusion that we as Americans need because uh, I fear for my children's future if 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 in fact we don't um, so hopefully this film through uh, Christian Bale's character's journey of healing and understanding and without giving too much away and and and, and reconciliation can speak to those people who uh, have such disparate views yeah speaking of Christian uh He's set for a tribute this weekend at the festival. Much deserved. I think that's a big coup for the festival, actually. He doesn't do those things <laughs> too often. No, no, he doesn't. Christian is is um, probably the least selfish, and I'm not just saying this because he's my closest friend, but he's the least selfish actor I've ever worked with. He's a lot like uh, Jeff Bridges, in fact, where the less you see of these men in public the more likely you're going to believe what you see on screen. Mm -hmm. You don't see Christian doing television ads. You don't see him uh, unless the paparazzi become very crafty in any of these <laughs> magazines. Yeah. Um, uh, he tries not to be photographed. He he, he uh, lives a very private life. He's a wonderful husband and, and father and, and is solely devoted to his family and to his work. Um, so I was surprised that, that he was open to celebrating his, his career because he, hey, he's still so young. I mean, he's been working, though, for 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, but he doesn't normally like to call attention to himself. He likes his parts to speak for himself. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just happy that, that they're honoring his work because um, he's, for my 10 bucks, the best actor working. Yeah. We'll talk about how that relationship sparked. I mean, after Furnace, you guys were looking for something else to do together. Obviously, as you say, you're close friends now. So just what sparked that relationship both – well, you've spoken to professionally. I think you, your admiration for him is clear. But just personally, how does that relationship spark on that set? Well, interestingly, people often say to me, wow, he must be extremely intense uh, to work with or just to, to, just to, just to hang around with. People tend to be somewhat intimidated by Christian, but he couldn't be a lighter guy. He has a great sense of humor. He's very funny, not afraid to make fun of himself. Um, all these sort of things that people, of course, don't see because he's so he's so private. So I know this deeply humanistic side of Christian. 
and I kind of tasked myself stupidly with uh, writing for actors without even knowing knowing them. I wrote Crazy Heart for Jeff Bridges. I never met Jeff, and just through a fate of luck, was able to to get him to to play the part of Bad Blake. And I wrote Out of the Furnace for Christian. Long admired Christian and thought that he was the only guy to embody this. And thankfully, he said yes. Um, and I like to see actors in ways that you rarely see them. And I hope that that I, together, Christian and I have shown a side of him and Out of the Furnace that that people hadn't quite seen before. And I think that can speak for his part in Hostiles. Um, uh, great range, um, fully embodies the character. There are few actors that you see on screen that you really believe can do what you're seeing them do. Uh, Christian, there's no question. It's naturalism. It's organic. Yeah. And what you see him do, the way he rides a horse, the way he... Uh, moves into battle the way that he takes care of his men or uh, Roseman Pike, uh, uh, young widow whom he meets on the trail. Um, because I know Christian as a deeply, deeply humanistic person, um, and there's a sense of trust there that's critical for an actor and a director, but when you're as close as friends as we are, uh, there's a sense of trust that Christian knows that I will only show him in, in the light that he intends and that I intend and in a way that will fully embellish the character in a way that, that, that I perhaps didn't write. Mm-hmm. And that's what great actors do. They take, they take writing, whether it's good or not, and they completely elevate it. And Christian does that with every moment. And I, and I know that he's going to do that. Um, and there's a, just a sense of trust that we have as, as close friends that, that comes from spending countless hours together when we aren't working yeah. In our family's vacation together, we we uh, spend a lot of time together as families, and uh, and it certainly makes the work um, that much richer. Mm-hmm. And certainly, what another thing I learned from Jeff Bridges is it's, it isn't the result of the film, how it does it, the, the box office, although that really means a lot to me, but certainly with awards and those sort of things, it's, it's about the experience that you've had. Mm-hmm. And I've had two incredible experiences with Christian that that uh, will not be easily surpassed. You mentioned Rosamund there. I think some people might think uh, it was Gone Girl that led to this casting decision, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. Uh, talk about that, because I think this is interesting. No, I've always ad- ad- admired her work. Um, she's an incredible actress, lots of range. and You can see this very fierce intelligence um, that radiates on screen. But I happened to come across a Massive Attack video and I was mesmerized by her performance. A very fearless performance in however long this video is, six minutes long. Uh, of course, I was well aware of her work. And I sent it to Christian. I said, I think this is our Rosalie. I'm almost certain this is our Rosalie, the character she portrays in Hostiles. And Christian wrote back, oh, my God, it's perfect. She's incredible. And it was just in those moments, of course, no dialogue. And there isn't a great deal of dialogue in Hostiles. Um, that you could see a real resilience and strength, but in a very odd way that doesn't quite jump out at you mm-hmm. in this particular video. So then I asked to Skype with her, I sent her uh, whatever my latest draft was, and, and she really responded to that. But while we were Skyping, she lives in London. Her children, her young, her young boys were climbing all over her. And... What I loved is that she didn't have them sequestered away somewhere, but mm-hmm. allowed them while we're Skyping to just play with her, and she would talk to them while we were Skyping. Of course, we'd never met. 
and she was so maternal, mm-hmm. and I could see her the, this deep love that she had for her children, as you know, as most mothers would. But I just happened to see that in this particular Skype session, and I thought, for someone who's going to suffer great loss as she does in the film, um, she clearly uh, exhibits that not only in her other work, but certainly in these few moments of Skyping, and then, of course, this massive attack video that I think is pretty genius. The physicality on display in that video, too. I mean, it's just yes. a commitment you can yeah. really sense. Out oh, yeah. So. She's, she's an extremely committed actress. I mean, she did tell me it was the most difficult film that, that she'd made, but um, she never complained. Yeah. And then I'd love to talk about Sam Shepard a little bit, mm. if you don't mind. Sam. I mean, uh, we, we lost him recently. Well, you know, obviously one of the greats. Uh, was in your film Out of the Furnace and I, I, I'm so bummed I never got to meet this man but uh, what did Sam Shepard mean to you because I understand you guys were very close oh Sam I mean I you know clearly haven't gotten over it and I, and I won't get over it and I'm wearing a, a jacket now that he gave me um, that uh, yeah Chris well um, I'll never forget when I sent him out of the furnace, his agent called me and said, so Sam's going to call you. She didn't tell me whether he'd read the script. Sam's going to call you, and you're going to see a number from Paris come up on your cell phone. I was like, oh my God, of course, Sam Shepard's calling me from Paris. This, this, this just makes perfect <laughs> sense. And the first thing he said to me, he said, well, this seems like a cousin to Barry Child. <laughs> and I love this title. I'm in. And I literally couldn't fill my legs at that point. And, and he went on to say what he liked about the writing. And, and, and of course, then we made the film together, which was an incredible experience. Uh, I remember Sam coming to me once after a scene with Christian, and Sam said, wow, that guy's good. <laughs> I said, yes, Sam, he is. And uh, he, had, he had made Jesse James, The Fascination of Jesse James with Casey. So they were pals. So really, it, 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 it made... A very difficult film, a very heavy film, much much lighter, and and then I screened the film for him when I had finished, and I was nervously waiting outside the theater in New York, and he came out and he had had, had you know visibly been moved and and he embraced me and he said uh, he said. Um, you know, he, he said, well, we're two peas in a pod. He said, uh, kindred spirits. He said, I love it. And for, for a man who didn't speak much, that probably meant more to me than almost anybody. Um, and we stayed close after that. And he would read screenplays. We would talk about horses. He had a farm in Kentucky and a, and a ranch in Santa Fe. And, and he would watch... He watched Black Mass. We chatted about that. We would talk about politics. We talked about literature. Uh, he would invite me to see some of the work he was working on. Um, I would read some of his his, his work, and, and it really was uh, this great relationship. And he and he gave me a book um, that, that he inscribed, "Cruising Paradise," and then he also gave me a book of letters between him and Joseph Chaikin um, from the seventies and eighties, and I reread those. Uh, letters often, and it, and those letters speak to uh, a man who's a national treasure, who's one of our great artistic minds, a man of real courage and conviction, and um, a man who won't be replaced. 
What I find fascinating about that whole situation is no one knew he was suffering. No, he he and suffering the way he did. I mean, I've I've been told and read that that's probably you know the worst way hmm. one can die when you suffer from ALS, Luke Gehrig's disease, and and how difficult that is because your mind's so sharp and your body's just starting to atrophy and and uh, Sam, but he he never really uh, he never really complained and and um, you know that really said a lot to me for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly here, to the extent that you can or want to talk about your next project, which has been announced, it's uh, Hellhounds on His Trail about uh, Martin Luther King's assassin, James Earl Ray. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about reconciliation and hate. And, I mean, you know, the, the answer to this question kind of seems obvious, but I'm just going to ask, why make this movie right now? Well, uh, if not now, when? Yeah. Um, clearly... Um, what Dr. King meant to me, meant to me, and so many others, can be easily drowned out by the very loud voices of hate that that have a much larger megaphone now than uh, they have in the in the very recent past. Um, I certainly want to honor his legacy, what he meant to um, the nonviolent struggle, because um, re- regardless of what some people say, they're they're. There's the nonviolent struggle, and then there's the other side, right? Mm-hmm. And we all know what that means. Um, and I want to honor what he what he meant to someone like me, to his followers. And also, when I was was nine years old, I was at my grandfather's farm in Tennessee, and it was around midnight one night, and his hunting dogs were baying loudly and barking and next thing you know there are red lights and blue lights and state troopers and FBI and and state police all converging on my grandfather's farm and we all run outside and and the uh, state trooper says to my grandfather he says some men have escaped from Brushy Mountain State Prison which is quite a ways away and they've stolen your truck and they've crashed it and we have them treed Hmm. and among those men is James Earl Ray and I thought to myself, my gosh, how close I was to a man who has forever altered the course of history. And I will, of course, in no way um, paint this man in, in any light other than, than what he deserves to be painted in. Um, and it's, it's certainly not a, a difficult, no, it's not an easy film to make. It's, it's quite difficult. Um, but I, I think I have a handle on the material to, to tell it in a very sensitive fashion and one that can really speak to the times in which we live because James Earl Ray was really influenced by the rise of a demagogue named George Wallace. And he gave a lot of people permission to speak uh, through hatred and, and bigotry and, and violence. That one obviously has come together quickly here in the last few months, but uh, what else is on the horizon for you? What are you, what are you hoping to make? What do you want to uh, launch into? Well, I've, I've long wanted to make uh, a William Steiner adaptation of Lie Down in Darkness that um, I'm very fond of, but uh, that's, that's a very difficult project, and, and finding the right casting is, is critical and um and perhaps I was uh, not as fearless as I should have been in trying to make it sooner. But perhaps, um, 
perhaps that at some point. But it, it, it appears that Hellhound on his trail is 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 going to be next. I'm in the process of refining uh, the script and and casting now. And I don't mean this to sound disrespectful, but is there? Uh, do you want to go easier on yourself anytime? Well, soon? my wife often asks that question, <laughs> uh, just emotionally speaking. I, you, you know, know. <laughs> Chris, I'm not quite sure why I'm drawn to the darker recesses of the human psyche. Um, <laughs> But I know that there's a kid's movie in me somewhere, <laughs> and it's not Battle Royale. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get that one of these days. Yes. Uh, the movie is called Hostiles. It will be out uh, you know, sometime this fall. Uh, it's on the market, actually, one, one of the hot acquisition titles. So uh, keep an eye out for that. It's playing Telluride this weekend in Toronto next week. Thanks a lot, Scott, for coming on. Really appreciate oh, it. Great pleasure, Chris. Thank you, buddy. Mm-hmm.